Our scripture today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1161 on your pew Bibles. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay it to hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O oh Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert. Even Zion is a desert, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple, where our fathers praised you, has been burned with fire. All that we treasured lives in ruins. After all this, O oh Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? In the two towers in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the movie version, by the way, because I'm not a good enough nerd to have read the books, um, everything appears to be going wrong. Frodo is about to give up on his quest to destroy the ring of power when his best friend Sam tackles him. Possessed by the power of the ring, Frodo draws his sword to kill his friend before coming to his senses at the very last second. He falls back and sits down and says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam looks out at a dark, war-torn city and says the best speech of all time. I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances at turning back. But they, only they didn't. They, didn't. they kept going, because they were holding on to something. And Frodo asks, dejected, what are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam answers, 
that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. I think that just might be the best description of Christian hope that I've ever heard. In the gospel, we have a story that's worth holding on to, that the shadow of evil and death is just a passing thing, that darkness will pass and the light we receive will be even brighter for having gone through the darkness. And that's what the season of Advent is all about. It's about looking at the darkness and sin and evil of this world. And it's about seeing the way that sin has totally wrecked this world and made it so much more difficult. And it's not about coping with that darkness. It's not about making friends with it and learning to live with it. It's about raging against that darkness, lamenting that it exists, and praying that one day the darkness will go away. Because at at Advent, we recognize that the darkness and evil of this world simply cannot go on forever. The God who loves us and made this world for us simply will not allow it to be corrupted by pain and suffering forever. Darkness and light can never coexist. The light must conquer the darkness. We don't go to church to figure out how to best live and get along with the world where we are right now. We go to church so we can be learned to be saboteurs and revolutionaries who subvert the reign of sin and death and replace it with the reign of the true and righteous king, Jesus Christ. Our Savior will rend the heavens and come down. The darkness and the light will not live together forever, because the light will and must overcome it. There's some good in this world, even if it's hard to see. If only because Jesus Christ has become Lord of heaven and earth, and the love of God reigns in every atom of this earth. As Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch, even of this broken world, rife with war and evil, over which the risen Christ does not cry, mine, and I own it. And if that's the case, then Christ will certainly redeem every tiny little broken piece of this world. The seeds of that goodness were always there because God made this world, and they blossomed and bore fruit when Christ was born and reborn from the dead. The goodness has spread to every one of us and will finally take over the whole world when Christ comes again. There's some good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. Now you notice that the kind of hope that's described here is very different from the way that we often think of hope. I hope that the commanders will win the Super Bowl one day. But that doesn't really affect my day-to-day life. I might watch them more because of it, or I might continue following them even when they make me sad. But there's not much more to it than that. My hope that the commanders win the Super Bowl is a completely passive hope. It's something you think about while you're daydreaming, but not something that changes how you act. Christian hope is different. It's profoundly active. And it completely changes everything you do. It says, there's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. Christian hope is the kind of hope that is so inspired by the beauty of the world that Christ is creating that sees signposts and little experiences of that world everywhere. Christian hope is the kind of hope where your tastes and your desires change. The only things you enjoy are those things that remind you of your true home at the right hand of Jesus. It causes you to have more pleasures and more desires, not less. Because you become deeply dissatisfied with the tiny little pleasures that come from tiny little sins and willing to sacrifice anything for the enormous and lasting joy that comes from a few moments at Jesus' side. 
In fact, it gives you a deep revulsion for sin because it is so fake and hollow compared to the glorious kingdom of God that is breaking into this world. Christian hope gives us a vision of what the world should be like and what we should look like and what human relationships should look like. And that vision is beautiful. And all of this is overwhelmingly necessary in a dark world where it can be hard to see the goodness. If you think that there really isn't any good in this world, or that goodness isn't real, or that badness is really no different than goodness when you really think about it, you will join in the darkness. You can justify literally anything that is convenient to you once you give up on the difference between darkness and light. This is especially important in a culture like ours that likes to make fun of people who have sincere beliefs that are emotionally significant for them. Instead, we have the tendency to consider it high class to appreciate nuance. And sometimes nuance is good, but sometimes nuance ultimately ends up saying that there's no distinction between good and evil. Take a long enough time reading discussions online and you'll find that the most shameful thing a person can do on the internet is have sincere opinions that significantly affect how they feel. You will almost be, oh, certainly be hit with, sir, this is a Wendy's, or sounds weird, but go off, fam. Christian hope requires us to fight against the idea that nothing really matters. And it requires us to fight against it every little place that it might be found, whether in conversations or in meetings or in memes. Christian hope tells us that there's a difference between good and evil because there's a perfect and good Christ who reigns over this world and a God who will judge evil. And every single action that we take either makes us more like Christ or more like a worm. When you are tempted to sin, you don't just say, well, everybody does it, or this is just the way the world is, or things will never change anyway. No, that's a failure of Christian hope. There really is some good in this world. Everything is going to be set right. How could you not fight for it? Now, the situation where this passage was written is a lot like the situation that Sam and Frodo found themselves in. It's the kind of situation where you could easily lose out on Christian hope and just think that the world is a savage, brutal place where goodness can't prevail. The people of Israel were called into being from when there were one single person in Abraham to be a light to the world. The world was full of darkness and without God, but God made a deal with Abraham that he would be with his people forever and that Abraham and his family, the Israelites, would bear the presence of God to the whole world. Israel is meant to be a light to the nations. They were going to be the ones that bear witness to the kind of good that's worth fighting for. All they needed to do was follow a few simple laws, like love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But the people of Israel did not follow those laws, and they rejected God's presence and rebelled against him. The law that Israel had with God said that if they followed God's law, God would be with them. But if they didn't, then God would withdraw from them, and they would lose the land that God had given them, and they'd be scattered over the whole earth. They failed to follow that law for like a thousand years. And nevertheless, God was merciful and kept them in their land, until finally he allowed them to be invaded. God says in Isaiah 48, a rare phrase that's really similar to the passage that we have, which is, if only. Here Isaiah says, oh, if only God, you would tear open the heavens and come down. Earlier, God said to Israel this heartbroken cry, Oh, if only you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of a sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand, and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. 
But instead, God had to bring his justice and wrath to them. It looked like the light of Israel was snuffed out, that goodness had died, and there was nothing left to fight for. It seemed like God from now on would, remain, would forever remain distant. He'd have to remain seated up in heaven because his plan to return to the earth through Israel has failed, and it's all humanity's fault. Israel has been invaded, the temple has been destroyed, the people have lost their promised land. And so Isaiah cries out Israel's only last hope, which is a hope they never once deserved. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Don't you see, God, what they've done to your people? Yes, God, we banished you away, and we took you for granted, and we don't deserve your presence. But don't you want to come down and defend your honor by defending us? Don't we all know that you are a just God who can't allow evil to prosper? Don't you love your people even if they don't love you? But God, if you just came down here, if you came down from heaven to earth, everyone would see you. The world couldn't help but be set right. You could judge the evil and the righteous. You do whatever you want to us. We'd sacrifice anything to make that happen. You are the potter and we are the clay. Do with us what you will, but just please come down here. Tear open the heavens and come down. It's our only hope. But isn't that what we want too? Isn't that our only hope too? When we see darkness all around us, when it really looks like evil is going to win, when there are terrible wars where people made in the image of God are slaughtered, when it looks like cheaters are prospering and the righteous are victimized, when temptations are so great and it's hard to see a way out, when it becomes hard to love and relationships are difficult to maintain, in those times it becomes laughable to want a God that stays upstairs in heaven and leaves us alone. Certainly, there's times that we want that kind of God that leaves us alone. But when the consequences of our sin come, and we see death, evil, and brokenness all around us, when we struggle with addiction, and we can't get ourselves in tough situations and can't see a way out, we need a God who will tear open the heavens and come down. This is what the season of Advent is all about. We celebrate the fact that we don't have a God who just remains upstairs in heaven, unaffected by what goes on on earth. He doesn't just watch bad stuff happen here. No, we have a God who already tore open the heavens and came down in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself became a human being and lived with us as a genuine person. He experienced all the evil that we have and then some. He lost friends to death and wept bitterly. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. He was executed for a crime he didn't commit. But he didn't just suffer what we did. He conquered evil and death on the cross, allowing it to kill him in obedience to his father so that it could be obliterated when he rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, Christ began to inaugurate an entirely new world, a world free from sin, death, and suffering. And we have the opportunity to begin to live in that world, even here and now. Jesus tore open the heavens and came down. He ripped apart everything that stood between him and us. All that because he loved us just like a mother loves her children and tears apart everything that stands between her and her child. And if God did that 2,000 years ago, we have a certain hope that he will do it again. God will tear open the heavens again and set this world right. And that's the center of the hope for Advent that God did not remain upstairs, and so he will not remain upstairs. 
God will certainly come to judge this world and to set it right, to make this world all it was ever supposed to be, and what we all know in our bones it could be. And we will live with him forever, and nothing will ever separate us from him again. So this Christian hope of Advent is absolutely crucial to living the Christian life. Every day when you walk outside the doors of the church, you're going to be bombarded with the idea that nothing really matters, everyone is evil in some sense or another, this is just the way the world is and you should give up. It takes real work to avoid being brainwashed by the world. We're going to spend, we're going to need to know the gospel and the hope that we have for this world. We're going to need to spend lots and lots of time enjoying the first little foretastes of that beautiful new heavens and new earth. And we're going to allow ourselves to be satisfied with the tiniest little pleasures that come from our dumbest possible sins. If you're going to withstand temptation, you need to keep the infinite joys of God's kingdom constantly in your mind. To such an extent that you know that the goodness is worth the fight. If you're going to withstand temptation, you're going to need to avoid giving up. You need to know the story of God. And you're going to need to spend time with him. There are forces beyond our imagination that are conspiring to steal our hope and give up. It's a deadest to give up and go back to an easy life of small-minded pleasures where there is eternal joy sitting there at the right hand of God. Those forces are shot through every society on earth. And they can have as much of your time as you give them with no effort on your part. If you're going to maintain a Christian hope, you're going to need to spend a lot of time with God to counteract that. Luckily, as we wait for our Savior to tear open the heavens and come down to us, we know that he is already with us here in a real sense. He already did tear open the heavens when he descended on Christ as the Holy Spirit in his baptism. And God's Holy Spirit is with us everywhere we go. God really is with us, even as we wait for him to come down and be with us truly, fully, and permanently. And that is our only hope, both now and forever. Let's pray. Great God, tear open the heavens and come down once more to comfort your people. Make us ready for your appearance, so that we would be able to live in a world that is set right. Strengthen our hope for your coming, so that we would not fall into despair and temptation, but we would honestly work to build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.